Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush Friday Interview Edition. And this week, everyone, you are in for a treat because I know from lurking around Facebook with the movie crushers that uh, The Princess Bride is one of the most beloved movies for our listener base. The crushers love it. I love it. Everybody loves it. I mean, let's be honest here. It's just one of the great, great, um, lovely, feel-good, sweet, romantic fairy tale movies of all time. Uh, and I was really happy that my guest, Molly Coffey, picked uh, The Princess Bride. She's great. Molly is a local production designer who I met a few years ago, everybody, when I naively thought that I was going to go out and make a movie. And uh, I thought I had a little money in place and I had a script and I had some actors on board. And I started legit interviewing people and going to locations and Molly was uh, – her name was passed along to me by my producer as production designer. She said – he's like, you got to meet with Molly. She's great. I met with Molly. She was great. And although that movie did not pan out, obviously, um, we hit it off. And Molly's just super cool. And we became Facebook friends. And I really, uh, over the past few years, have followed her career via Facebook and um, – and just think a lot of what she has to say about the world and about uh, women in the film industry and in society at large. She's uh, she's just really terrific, and I appreciate her point of view. Uh, she's also friends with um, Raymond and Craig and Karen, who I've had on the show, and Scotty, and uh, just has deep roots here in Atlanta in the film industry, and a very talented, uh, very cool lady. So uh, I know you will enjoy it. Here we go with Molly Coffee on The Princess Bride. Where are you from? <laughs> I am from South Georgia. Okay. What part? 
Uh, this little town called Morven that's outside of Valdosta. All right. It's basically a produce stand in a caution light. Right. Um, it's It was very intense growing up. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't have anything in common with anybody around me. Right. And I had parents that I, you know, butted heads with. It's funny because, like, my parents were very difficult. And I have one sister uh-huh. who she... Uh, her reaction to our parents and, like, how difficult they were was to kind of, like, shut down. But my answer was to just, like, constantly fight and be yeah. abrasive. And, and yeah, it was it was a really crazy, crazy time growing up. So I ended up leaving before, like, I didn't finish high school. Mm-hmm. And I, I call it running away to join the circus. But then I went to uh, uh, work rigging stages for the Van Swarp Tour. Oh wow! And I was like fourteen. I wasn't even like legal wow. to to um. So you were a carny. I was. It was. <laughs> it was the best thing that it saved my life. To wow! Be honest. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was able to find people that I felt were like like minded. Yeah. Um. And so I figured out who I was. It's funny going home because I. I know a lot of people are like nostalgic for going home and seeing the people, but I'm not, not. the same person. <laughs> so it's like it's really I yeah it's really crazy. Yeah. So the, you're you're saying that that small town wasn't full of like cool artists and waiting. No, weirdly and not it wasn't. <laughs> so Van's Warp Tour. What year? I mean, I don't know much about the Warp Tour, but what year was that? That would have been 2000. I mean, no, it would have been 1995. Oh, wow. Yeah, so back when punk rock was still good. Okay. <laughs> but, man, speaking of punk rock, like, punk rock has not, like, with all the political turmoil uh-huh. that we're, that's going on, punk rock is, like, letting us down right now. Can I, I know, because everyone thought this was going to be <laughs> just what punk rock needed. I uh, know. Is it not happening? No, not I'm, at all. Because I'm, like, so old and uncool, I have no idea what's <laughs> good anymore. There's, like, some weird Hispanic, like, Los Angeles SoCal stuff going uh-huh. on that's really cool, but sure. that's kind of about it. Nice. Like Morrissey <laughs> punk cover bands? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you uh, realize, like, you were in this small town, mm-hmm. and I think you saw the writing on the wall, like, it's a, almost a literal escape. Yeah. No, right? it was 100%. Because you have to get out, otherwise it's all I w- over. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think I would have lived through it. I was yeah. getting into fights all the time, and I was just really unhappy. And yeah. I, it honestly felt... Like, I really, I felt no connection to anyone. So it was, like, that feeling of isolation and mm. being alone. Like, it, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I don't think I would have lived through it if I'd stayed. I, I'm always interested when, like, how, why are you like your, why, why <laughs> are you know. you? Why are you know. Molly Coffee? Like, if there were no influence, was there any influence? Uh, not, or did you literally strike out on your singular path? Not really. I mean, there were there was like a a little bit of a punk rock scene in um like in Valdosta, mm-hmm. and so I definitely was around some people that like punk rock, but it was still like like the we just drink ourselves into oblivion right. and we uh, are just kind of angry and misogynistic mm-hmm. and treat women like crap, but right. we don't know what we're angry about. And I was interested. I've always been kind of interested in, in what motivates people. And so it's funny because we, so our parents, they were, they were incredibly conservative and religious. So we Uh were not allowed to watch television at all. Uh, Okay. So my dad would even, they would keep the television in my parents' room, like just unplugged in the corner. And then on Saturday nights, they would bring the television out. And because my dad wanted to watch Doctor Who. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so the one cool thing. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, like, I had an entire childhood that was basically just Doctor Who and wow. maybe like what movie came on after 
um, on Saturday nights, but that was kind of it. So no movies in your childhood kind of, it wasn't a part of your childhood. No, but my parents allowed us to read anything that we wanted. Okay. Like anything. So I was, you know, and I was in the second grade when I read Lord of the Flies. And, wow. And I was really obsessed with all the like Harold Schechter serial killer true uh-huh. crime books. And yeah. so I was really, I would read, I had a b- book of witchcraft that had this whole like front half of it that was about the history of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And my parents were fine with me reading that despite being really so religious. Well, my mom was a, a elementary school teacher before. My parents were teachers yeah. too. Yeah, so my dad she, was my principal in elementary school, and then my mom taught elementary school at another at another school. Yeah, yeah. Um, so music was sort of your uh, savior. It was a hundred percent. Yeah. So I I would work for about four months out of the year on the Van Swerp tour, and then I would just <laughs> jump trains with like the crust punks and wow. travel around the the yeah. You're the most interesting person <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you know it it that lasted for a time. Uh-huh. <laughs> How many how many years did you do that? Kind of uh, thing? Often on like nine years, I Just guess. Hopping around the country, huh? Yeah, and I got really into photography. Like I got a a camera, and so I started taking pictures of mm-hmm. of uh, like music and stuff, which then kind of led into taking pictures of. That was like kind of the insurgence of like the alternative. I guess you call it porn, but it really wasn't. But it was just like like tattooed girls wearing like not a lot of clothes and posing. Right. And so I kind of got really interested in that because, again, I was really interested in like women and empowering them. Yeah. And it felt like this weird part of porn that was like empowering women, uh-huh. which I think that eventually I figured out that it's all a ruse. Like, Really? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, there, well, there's crappy people in every right. industry. <laughs> exactly. So even if there were uh... – Empowering, um, yeah, like feelings initially that was co-opted. Yeah, well, like I worked for Suicide Girls and uh, doing photography for them, and it took us a while to figure out that like it w- like they claimed to be owned by a woman, but it was all just yeah. A, what's the deal with them? Yeah, well, Missy Suicide was supposedly the owner, uh-huh. but there was there was just like a guy like behind the scenes. Uh, she was like basically a hired actor, essentially. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. I mean, she was involved with the business, but she definitely, it was right. all just a PR stunt to to make it seem like it. Wow. And then they decided, uh, they, it seemed really good for a long time, and then they decided that, um, uh, that people were competition like some of the girls were getting like bigger than suicide girls with right. their individual brands and so then they like retroactively wanted everyone to sign uh basically like non non compete or whatever yeah but it was more like it was more like we just have the right at any time to decide something is competition right um and so a bunch of the girl there was like a whole wave of people leaving like, yeah this was back so when there were like 40 girls yeah you know? and now i think they're i mean they're in the thousands now wow yeah. So, did you work for them, or were you just in t- taking pictures? Uh, I just took freelance. Fo- yeah, just took photos. I okay. was one of their official photographers for a while. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. When did movies kind of start coming into your life? I was kind of happenstance. I so I came back to I came to moved to Atlanta in 2005 because mm-hmm. I had this uh, uh, internship with a photographer because I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this for real. Like, I need to quit futzing around and actually right. have an apartment and right. belongings and things. <laughs> um, and so I moved to Atlanta for this internship and I was on my second day and he started asking me to like wear outfits when I came uh-huh. like and 
I was like, no, I'm good. Thanks. Right. <laughs> and then I showed up the third day and he's like, no, you have to wear an outfit. And I was like, okay, bye. Wow. Thank you. And so then I just got. So many got, creeps. Yeah, there are, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so then I um, I just got a job in a bar and I was working there with these really great friends. And Which bar? I was Raging Burrito in oh, yeah. Decatur. Sure. I worked there for seven and a half years. Oh, cool. It was a long time. I haven't been there in forever. I, I don't know why. I used to go there. Yeah. Well, they have a great patio. Yeah, yeah. Nice weather. It's been a while. And good margaritas. So um, you're working there and that's when movies sort of started? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I started doing these like stop motion movies with my – I met a friend Chuck, uh, Chuck Thomas, mm-hmm. who I – do everything with now but I met him and he had gone to school for film and we started talking about our love of stop motion and I was mm, like well yeah. I can start doing stop motion stuff in my uh, in my house with all of the equipment that I have uh-huh. and so we started doing all this stop motion stuff and I got this guy, this local guy who I was a really big fan of a movie that he'd made, uh, Mike Bruni. And I asked him to come and do a voice on our mm-hmm. on our stop motion stuff. And so at the end of it, I gave him these really cheesy coupons. They were like, hey, I'll come and do free work on your stuff. <laughs> That's sweet. And uh, like two weeks later, he called me. He's like, hey, will you come and PA on this music video? I want to cash in this coupon. Yeah. No, exactly. It took him two weeks to do it. Free back scratch. It was the best thing I ever did. I get there and I'm like, wh- I don't even make it all the way into the building like I'm walking up and there's this girl wearing combat boots with long hair and she's carrying all this really heavy stuff and mm-hmm. I just see all these guys that are like standing around her and so I go and I start helping her carry stuff and yeah. and she was a production designer and uh-huh. so she absorbed me into the art department took me on to all these shows sponsored me into the, the coolest department oh yeah but it, always it, it was crazy because I one is it was like this weird industry where it didn't matter that I didn't have a college diploma or anything yep. that as long as I worked hard uh-huh. and was pleasant yeah absolutely. I could prosper and all these weird things that I'd done throughout my life between like working in factories machine welding or uh-huh. like even cro- I've done I cross stitched pillows on the walking dead you know like right. it's like all these weird crafty things that I've done throughout the years like have prepared me for this moment right so you're essentially had a resume without even knowing it yeah exactly that's one of the cool things about the film business um I mean I, I did go to college for six years in Athens and had a great time and then went to the film business and didn't do much but I remember thinking at one point when I was in LA I was like why didn't I graduate high school when I was 18 <laughs> and move the fuck to L.A. and just start because you certainly don't need a college degree. You don't no. need a high school degree. Uh, like you said, you just need to work hard. Yeah. And my career would have been a lot f- further along, but, you know, you can't retroactively, well, no. like, redo your life. For sure. Yeah. I I love meeting people who are really young and know that they want to work in the film industry because that's cool. crazy to me. Yeah. Do you impart advice? I, I mean, I try you're a to. Now. Sure. The <laughs> the big thing is just let you know. Ed, the big that I honestly still ten years now doing it have to learn is you have to kind of let things organically happen mm-hmm. because uh, if you if you try to like plan out your trajectory and what stuff and what is right. success to you and compare yourself to other people, yeah, this industry tough. doesn't work out that way. No, the freelance gig is uh, you have to. It's not for everyone. No. And you really got to, like, get your mind right with it. Yes. The feast or famine thing and, like, just when you th- – I know you, you know how it is. You think, am I ever going to work again at some point? <laughs> Which is probably and then the what I'm going through now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, are you not working right now? Uh, no. It's it's 2018 was a crazy year. So I, t- I was trying to make a feature film at the end of 2018. Yeah, let's chat about that. Okay. 
So uh, it's called Kaylee Age 8. Mm-hmm. Is this feature film about? It's supposed to be my first feature that I was directing. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be about an eight-year-old girl with autism, and her oh, mom wow. suddenly dies, and she doesn't have any other family, and she s- steals her mom's ashes and goes on an odyssey with this colorful cast of characters to spread her mom's ashes to turn her into a mermaid. That sounds great. So did it's you like write a, it? I did uh-huh. with which, with my friend Chuck that I spoke of earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, thank God for him. Um, and so it it. It's something that I've done very publicly, like trying to make this film, because mm-hmm. I I wanted to break down some of the barriers. Because you know we all project success, right? We don't really project, you know, talk about all of our. You failures. mean like on social media? <laughs> Is that not real? Well, like, but I think in the film industry, it's even worse. Like we yeah. we see how we see other people's successes, and then we have our own struggles, and we're yeah. like, how does this person get to make stuff? It's like no, that it wasn't easy for them either. Yeah, and I remember too. It's all, it's all different now. Like they didn't have social media really when or not really they didn't have it when i was doing that work yeah and so there was all that uncertainty and you know how it is when everyone's like you'd start to call people like are you working Mm -hmm. like is anyone working but now on social media it's probably just drives people crazy when you're not working and you see like great day on the set with you know will i am on this job (laughs) well totally and because even man you know we the the union big studio shows that come here are so cyclical in how right. how busy it is and how not busy it is. So like even like everyone, you know, forgets that every single year they forget that the December's and January is really slow. Yeah. And so everyone's sitting around they're they're not working. They're like, oh but all this work is coming in January. It's like yes, nineteen shows are coming in January. Right. But we have so many union members right. that even though there was nineteen shows coming there, we really need about 60 at wow. one time to employ every single union member in this town. Holy cow. So it's, you know, it. there are a lot of people that are still unemployed. And yeah. it's, it's something that people have to, with the influx of work, they forget, I think, or ha- just have just joined the union so they don't know. They see it as like this pot of gold. Right. And they don't realize how you have to save up money for the winter. and Yeah, yeah. And, and then people move from L.A. and you're like, this is my town. It is. <laughs> Why but, are you taking my work? But we should, I, you know, it, that's it's one of those funny things because I, it comes from just anger of being unemployed. Sure. But, you know, and it being hard. but Which comes from stress. It does. But hopefully we are also, like, getting better at our jobs thanks to some of the people. That, right. No, that's true. Yeah. Because there, there are a lot of people that – didn't learn their craft before they were able to work on their first show because right. we just have so much work here. I know. Um, and we there, a lot of people here need to get better at right. their craft. No, I'm with you. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, so where, where's your movie now? Like, what's the status? Uh, it. We had a lot of failures. <laughs> um, we uh, a bunch of our sets were underwater, so that was oh, cool. No. Like leading up to the. The whole week had flash floods um, leading up to our first day of shooting. I also had some problems with a producer uh-huh. that um, we're now trying to legally untangle ourselves from. Okay. Um, and it's and it sucks because I because I was trying to be so transparent in our failures for so long and how hard it was. And right. I, we have a podcast where we talked about the whole thing. Oh, yeah? Know, like, making it, yeah. What's the name of that? Well, Atlanta Film Chat's the name of the podcast, okay. but then we did, like, a spinoff that was called The Pitch, where, like, uh-huh. for three years I've talked about trying to make this movie. Um, wow. But now, because of the legal stuff with the producer, that stuff I can't talk about on the podcast, and that 
drives me crazy because like I sh- I like legally shouldn't talk about it right. until all this stuff gets figured out. Um, and there's also a really good chance in the end I'll have to sign a non-disclosure agreement about it anyway. Right. But it so it 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 like hurts my soul because like my mission is about being transparent, like right. to not be able to talk to everybody about what's going on. Is this who's your lead actor? Uh, well, <laughs> who's your eight-year-old and now we probably had, nine-year-old? Well, we had we we had Brooklyn Prince uh-huh. with pushing. That's not on the table anymore. Okay, so we because well, of just aging or schedules. And... Uh, well, she's kind of she had a television show that she was then going into, and I don't think we would still after the television show be able to get her right. for the price that we were originally going to be able to right, get her for. Right, right. Um, but we have a casting agent in LA that actually after we lost Brooklyn like told us that she thought that we shouldn't have used Brooklyn anyway. I was like, oh, thanks. But, you know, it's it, she has all this star power as an eight-year-old, which is hard to find. What has she been in? Uh, the Florida that... Project was like the big thing oh. that she got oh, all the attention God. for. I can't even with that movie. I know. <laughs> I, I avoided it for a year and a half just because I knew. <laughs> yeah. And then finally I, I watched it. Uh, I don't know why, but I watched it on a plane. <laughs> And I was like, hi, I'm the 46-year-old sobbing mess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this big burly bear weeping yep. on the aisle seat. Yep. Such a great movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Boy, that would have been a great get. Yeah. But she, but as our the casting director told us that we need to find the girl that our movie is the Florida Project for. Right. Like her narrative for so long was how great she was. And yeah. now everybody knows that's not going to be the narrative again. Right. So we need to have someone where. Like, Discover your own person. Yes. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, we're. We'll see. We need to have new dates of shooting, which we're currently on, you know, we uh-huh. got to get a lot of stuff figured out yeah. um, before we try casting again. We we did definitely entertain the idea of using a little girl that had autism, mm-hmm. but as people who, we already have a film where we have an eight-year-old girl in every single scene of the film, which right. means that we already That's can tough. only shoot seven hours a day, essentially. Right. Um, to then introduce someone into that that has autism, we would have to, like, bank 10 days that are just like a wash, essentially, yeah. and we can't afford that. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. I bet you're a great director of children. I try. Or a great director, period. But I, I don't you know. know. I could see you, like, talking, uh, speaking that language. Well, we, you know, it's, it's uh, E.T. is, like, the big one that you see, uh-huh. like, all the videos of of Steven Spielberg talking yeah, to Elliot. Yeah, as an adult and talking to him uh-huh. and like, you know, it, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I think, you know, we can start getting into like art, but like art as a whole, especially when it comes to kids, mm-hmm. and they're smarter and they, they understand things and we should trust them with more than we do. Yeah. Mr. Rogers theory. Yep. Absolutely. I, I remember when I had, uh, when I adopted my, my daughter, uh, John Hodgman is a friend of mine and he, he said, the only parenting advice I'll ever give you, he said, is to buy the books of Fred Rogers. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's all you need. He's like, he understood more than anyone ever. Yeah. As far as, you know, child psychology and like really the mind of a child. Uh, and of course that movie. Oh my God. Forget yeah. You it. talk about bawling. Yeah. And what crying. a, uh, what a shame upon the Oscars. <laughs> yep. that, that is not nominated. Yeah. My God, I don't get it. The Oscars <laughs> is just further proof of what a sham that whole thing is. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> no women, no women directors. I no. know it's it's like I don't know. It's like a half a step forward, ten steps back. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, did you see Eighth Grade? By the way, no, I didn't. And it played Atlanta Film Festival. I should have seen it. It's but. really, really pretty good. Yeah. 
I didn't see Jonah Hill's. Um, he had a kind of a similar film. Uh, was it mid nineties? Yeah. The yes. What, what was it called? I haven't seen it either. I think but it's I heard that was really good. Or I might. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think it's just sort of a similar thing, like yes. kids. Yeah. I just I love movies about kids like that are real. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, what were the first jobs that you like? Walk me through your career in the art department. <laughs> what were your first gigs? Well, I I did a bunch of movies for free, which I you know is one of those things a lot of people don't want to do, but it you know you just meet as many people as you yeah. can, and and I just worked really hard. So I did I did a bunch of stuff with Fakewood Wallpaper, which are uh-huh. local guys, and I yeah I just did oh god three feature films mm-hmm. in a row for free, which is an insane amount of work. Right. And then uh, Amy sponsored me into the union and I had my first uh, on-set dresser job and Necessary Roughness. Oh, okay. And so on-set dressing, it's the person who's like in charge of the continuity like on-set. Right. Like as opposed to dressing the sets behind the scenes. And that was the greatest thing that I could have ever done. And I did it for for about three years. But because you have permission to be on set, you also as an on-set dresser get to be by Video Village. Right. So it's like film school. Because especially in television where there's a different director every single episode, oh, yeah. you get to watch different directors I work with the same that. crew, the yeah. same actors. Like It's interesting. Figure out ways to live within a world that like and production rules that exist, but right. then find ways to make their mark and find their voice in that. And it was like film school. It was the best thing ever. Really interesting. So you've probably seen like when a direct I don't really thought about that. When a director comes in and establish show like that, you've probably seen that done really well and very poorly. Yep, both for yeah. sure. <laughs> uh what's the best way to do it? Like just to not try and uh, rewrite everything and and not literally rewrite but rewrite the process. Well, you know, people deal with um with trying to be in charge differently mm-hmm. is like the big thing. A lot of people come in like guns blazing, especially um a lot of women because that's the environment that they've been in that sure. they feel like they have to like come in and and force everyone to respect them, which yeah. just doesn't work. Um and you know, so you have to come in and you, I don't know. It, there's like a way to massage the like egos on set to get mm-hmm. people to respect you. Yeah. Because you also need to be willing to listen to the people that are on the show constantly, right. which, you know, some people think th- that they just know everything. And, yeah. That's a life skill, though, yeah. like to listen. Yeah. And not to come in guns blazing. But and it's funny because some people would do storyboards, others wouldn't. Even mm-hmm. um, this guy, Tim, who directed a bunch of episodes of Twin Peaks, had this, it was just like a piece of of lined notebook paper and it had like stick figures on it and uh-huh. that was like his version. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like someone who's had the career that he's had and like this yeah. is still what he does. That's awesome. It makes you believe a little bit more in your yeah. abilities. Uh, and you also worked um, with, uh, with with Dana and Janet Varney on Stand Against Evil. That was just announced to be canceled officially. Oh, no. I know. Uh, yeah, Were you I, on all of that? I did all three seasons as a production designer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've both been on the show. And, of course, I'm buddies with both of them. I just saw yeah. them in San Francisco at Sketchfest. Uh, and I remember Dana, when I mentioned you, said, you know, we're all going to be working for her one day, <laughs> which I thought I was like, you're probably right. Aww. And that's great. He's a great guy. Yeah. And he, Janet's just the best. He is. A, Stan is evil. So funny. And, and just how special it was. Yeah. Um, Because, again, talking about egos and Dana's really good at 
I think partly because he's very excited about what he's doing because he's a fan first mm-hmm. and, you know, a creator second. But he is really good at using the people around him and their strengths mm-hmm. in a way that that isn't, you know, like letting people contribute to where we also all feel a level of ownership over right. what we're doing, which means that we care more and yeah. we give more. And he gave me a lot of opportunities to contribute to story that as a production designer, I, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you're just a cog in the machine and it, right. it eats your soul. But, yeah, he gave us all like this this like level of ownership over what we were doing that That's was great. really special, which is why we kept coming back. Yeah. Pay was pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> You guys did a lot for a small, smallish budget. Yeah, I mean, there were impressive. there were times that we like whenever I got the scripts for the third season, there was this uh, kaiju battle essentially with an oh, yeah. entire town made out of cardboard, and I knew as soon as I got the scripts that Ed, the producer, was going to try to cut it. Like that was, I knew that that was coming. Yeah. So <laughs> me and um, my art director Matt like made all of these like drawings. We made all these plans of exactly how we could do it. Because you wanted to do it. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to do it. Are you kidding? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so we had to come in with this proposal of this is how we right. achieve this. Don't cut it. <laughs> yeah, because we had, we had to figure out how to make it work so that. That's awesome. Yeah. And you did it. Yeah, we did. That's, and I'm sure Dana was gr- super grateful. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's really cool. In the second season, there was even an episode that uh, we – so we – at the end of the season, it was supposed to rain every single day. And uh-huh. we had like five days of outdoor shooting. And there was this big demon battle that was supposed to take place outside in the rain. And Dana wanted to put it in this antique shop just because the antique shop was there, which mm-hmm. – just was a ton of work for us and also just didn't do anything for the story. And yeah. I said, will you give me like overnight to like come up with something different? And the next day I showed up, I had all these drawings and, and all this about this blanket fort demon baby <laughs> place that was like a corn maze essentially made out of blankets and baby toys and stuff. Oh. And it um like added to the story. It was really cheap, way less work actually than, than like clearing this uh-huh. antique shop. Um, and he immediately came up with this idea for all these cocoons and stuff, but like giving me the opportunity, yeah. like the the bandwidth to to come up with something uh-huh. that made the story better, and then also gave me credit, like has talked about it a bunch about how it was me that came up with it, which I he doesn't I have to do, you didn't know. Know that was you. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, Mr. Tinkle Slayland. Uh huh. That's so cool. <laughs> um, well, before we move on to Princess Bride, I do want to uh, talk to you a little bit um, about. Women in the film industry, because mm-hmm. you, um, I'm Facebook friends with you, and you, uh, you always have a lot to say, which is you're laughing at me now. <laughs> no, I'm laughing at myself because of how I am opinionated. <laughs> no, but it's it's great. Like I think you're a voice I have really grown to respect, um, even though it's just been through social media, because you're out there. I feel like as a leader in that area in this community. And just, like, what does that mean to you? And what, what can you say to young women getting into the field? Well, it, you know, it's it's interesting. We're, we aren't seeing a lot of of shift in opportunity for women, right. like, with everything that's changing. We, we aren't seeing more. Yeah, but – and even we see these people that we get really excited. Oh, Ava DuVarney is doing this lab where she's allowing women directors mm-hmm. to, to come to this lab. But the women that get picked for those are the ones that already were about to be TV right. directors. It's It's not necessarily creating – 
more opportunity for women. But in all of this, and the why the narrative is important, in all of this, the thing that's come out of it is that women believe now that they deserve more uh-huh. and that they should speak out and ask for things. Right. You know, you're not going to get anything that you don't apply for. Like right. They, like, they, a man usually only has to be 50% qualified for a job to apply for it. A mm-hmm. woman has to be 75, feel 75% qualified right in order to apply for it same with like women are 70 percent more likely to have imposter syndrome that they don't believe that they deserve something if they get it so it the the thing that i think is important in all of this is that we we believe that we deserve to be there Mm -hmm. which is just it's it's on all of us to continue to be allies to each other right and, and to Tell each other that that they deserve it and that yeah. they should try and go for opportunities. And it, it's you know I've always tried to. Women have been really impor- important to me in in my life as mm. mentors, and I've always tried to have fifty percent of my crews always be women, yeah. which is hard. Even in art department, you think that it's this, this creative field, but it's a lot of construction and painting and mm. carrying heavy things, and so it's still a department that's predominantly males. Yeah. So uh, women just have to be given opportunities. And, and I think being an ally, like where whether it is to our trans people in our lives or gay people in our lives or, you know, racial, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, like people are always going to listen to their peers more than the person that's just speaking out right. angrily because that's how, you know, people always argue of right. someone speaking out that they're just – this this angry person it's the people that are that are like side by side with them and friends with them saying hey man that's not cool yeah that's going to make the most difference yeah, in all yeah. of this and and yeah we i think we just have to not be complacent right and and yeah i think it's on to us for other people to believe in themselves what can dudes do just like just like in a situation mm-hmm. Just be sure of one if you're if you're hiring that you interview at least you know some women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you don't necess- you know women should always be the best person for the job if you hire them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying to hire more women just right. because they're women. Yeah. So go ahead and shut the fuck up if that was your reply. Right out but, there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But but you know it, but. But but give them the opportunity to interview for the jobs, yeah. you know. And like I said, like when someone makes a crappy comment or a, a racial slur or a gay joke or uh-huh. something, just like be the person that's like, dude, mm-mm, yeah, nope, not cool. Yeah, it will make a ton of difference. Yeah, little changes like that. Yeah, everybody I, doing their small part. I was on a set in which a first AD continually would like shish me and talk over me mm-hmm. and and all this. And it, um, I we were trying to work out a problem, and I was asking a bunch of questions because I was trying to look out for the homeowner mm-hmm. whose home that we were going into. Sure. And the first AD basically like put his hand in my face, oh my god, and turned to the key grip, <laughs> uh, and Chris Birdsong, God bless him, turned to the key grip and said, "Why don't you take care of this for her?" And he said, "No, man, I think Molly has it." Yeah, and that was the first, like the fact that he told him like, "No." Yeah. That was when he finally, like, gave me a little bit of space. Yeah. It took someone else, like a dude that he respected, right. to give me the space. Which is fucked up. But great that Chris stepped in, at least. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pals with uh, these comedians, Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher, and they uh, did a show, you probably know all this, where they, I don't know if it was in their contract or if they just demanded that a certain percentage of the, the crew was female and uh, or LGBTQ and 
that was one of the things they were like most proud of in, in doing their show, mm-hmm. which was great. And I think if you're in a position of power like that and you can mandate stuff like that, because like you said, it's not like they were like, well, we'll have a C-rate crew right. that's just full of women that we had to right. hire. Like they were, I'm sure it was great. Yeah. You know? And the, the people that are qualified to do those jobs are out there. Yeah. And just think of of how inspiring it is to the people, the next generation of people coming up to see people that look like them or like them in those positions. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to make real change. It's just not going to make it quickly. Right. It is, uh, like Obama used to say, it's like steering that cruise liner an inch in one direction. <laughs> yep. And in 15 years, it'll be in a much different place. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. You're a sheer delight. The movie <laughs> crushers are... Uh, we're preaching to the choir here. Yeah. They're a fantastic collection of human beings. Um, but, you know, never hurts to say this stuff. <laughs> it's not like we're changing minds out there with this with this listening audience. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, Feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. All right, Princess Bride. Yeah. Let's get into this delight. (laughs) Uh, What was your – well, first of all, I usually set it up. 1987, everyone knows this movie. I don't know why I'm bothering. But uh, directed and co-produced by Rob Reiner, um, starring Carrie Elwise, Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, 
Chris Randon, uh, Wallace Shawn. I just am laughing reading these names. Andre the Giant, Christopher Guest, who I can't even look at. I know without laughing. Oh my! And gosh. he's so serious in this movie, and I still can't not laugh. Uh, from the William Goldman novel, he uh, I guess adapted his own book, and it's just one of the all time classics now. It is. When it, did you first see it? I I honestly am not totally sure. I I wouldn't have seen it in the theaters, which it didn't do well in the theaters anyway. Yeah. It, it wasn't until VHS. Right. I I had a VHS tape that where it had been recorded off of television. Oh yeah. That I would actually keep with me all the time because again we didn't watch television at my house. Right. And I would go over to my friend Belinda's and house tape. and I would bring my tape and <laughs> we would so watch sweet. it. I mean I I have to have seen the film like three hundred times. Yeah. It's I don't. It's so funny too because like. Buttercup is a terrible female character. So, like, watching yeah. it now is really funny. Um, but but still, like, it doesn't it doesn't seem to bother me. But it well, I mean, it is that <laughs> it it's that fairy tale trap, you it know, is. where the the damsel in distress can only be rescued by the man. It was 1987, and it was sort of stuck to that fairy tale thing. So, it but was. it is interesting that you're so like you know. I know, but I still love it so much. <laughs> no, that's right. It's, it's a small conflict, and Robin Wright is is good in this. She is. She was just a kid. She was just a BB, 19 years old, I think, when she when they shot it. Yeah. But she and Carrie always are just so beautiful, both of them. And it's so funny, even like later listening to her talk about it, because she talks about just how cute he was. Yeah. And how like pitter patter her heart was. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, he was not known at the time. And um, they, uh, of course, cast him because uh, I I bought the movie on iTunes or whatever, which they that comes with some behind the scenes stuff, which is cool. And Rob Reiner was talking about the obvious Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Errol, Errol Flynn sort of look that he had, which was perfect for this. But here's the thing. Like, I, I never have thought Carrie Wise was a great actor, but he's so good in this. <laughs> he is. But it's it's all larger than life, like yeah. all, of, all of their parts. I mean, but you can't, like, the sword fight. I mean, they, the amount. Unbelievable. The amount, like, they did that sword fight. Oh, yeah. The only stunt person that was in it was the little flip that he does. <laughs> Which is like, so funny. That's such was... a funny bit. I laugh every time I see that because <laughs> they, like, basically stop. To do these two, like, you know, high bar flips yep. and let each other do it. Yep. And that scene is just, un, like, it's it's one of the best sword fights in movie history. It is. And it's so funny as a production designer now, like, you you study the sets and, mm-hmm. and like, the matte paintings behind oh, them. So and, great. Which adds to the magic of it. But as yeah. a kid, I, you know, I didn't realize that, like, what it was as right. far as sets. But, like, now it still, like, adds, I realize how... Much that was a part of uh-huh. how the like the fantasy. Oh, of totally! It. Like if they had gone to a mountain and done it, it wouldn't have felt as magical. Yeah, which is interesting. And I made a note here. Like uh, they did go on location in uh, in the UK, and like this movie is part beautiful, real expanses of like the countryside, and then these so obvious <laughs> stage sets yeah. that just add to the fairy tale quality. It doesn't take away. Like it looks corny. It does. But in all the perfect ways. I mean, if you look, you can even see, like, the line. Like, when they're at the bottom of the Cliffs of uh-huh. Insanity, <laughs> you can see the line where the water is, like, hitting the set, yeah, like, yeah. on the back wall. It's so great. It's clearly a tank that's, like, <laughs> just out of the edges of the frame. You can yeah. tell there are, like, people standing there. You can sense them. <laughs> but I love that, especially if you've been on movie sets and stuff. It's kind of yeah. an endearing thing, I think. It is. Uh, and they uh, 
to confirm, like Rob Reiner said, they definitely like every single part of that sword fight. They spent just weeks and weeks training, and it was so important to those two guys to to really learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could tell Mandy Patinkin's just still talks so passionately about learning to fence. Yeah. for this movie, and it's one of the great great sword fights. Really good. So, uh, first of all, Fred Savage is just adorable. <laughs> he still is. <laughs> but, like, the cutest kid ever. He is. Uh, and it hit me last night with Peter Falk. Like, just what a time to be making movies when these legends were still, like, working. Yes. Like, the, some of these original uh, silver screen from the Golden Age legends were you could cast. And it just seems crazy to think about, like, oh, let's get Peter Falk. Why not? You know? <laughs> yeah. As, as grandpa. And I think they even had to age him up a little bit from the looks of it. Um, but the ensemble is just – it's almost like a sideshow or something when you look at everyone and mm-hmm. not just because Andre the Giant. It's just such a weird collection of fringe actors. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, you look at specifically Inigo Montoya, uh-huh. uh, Fezzik, and Vaziri, like yeah. oh, the three of them, of them. together <laughs> – is absolutely ridiculous. Uh-huh. And just they had these incredible backstories like of where they came from. Oh, really? And yeah. From well, the book or? Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh-huh. the, and they did kind of ex- expand it a little bit, change it a little bit for the um, because uh, the, the book was weirdly dark. Did you read that? I did. Like the book is it's kind of crazy. It's one of the few that I would say that the movie is actually better than the book. Oh, yeah. The big difference like that stands out between the book and the uh, and the movie is so whenever they go to the pits of despair, uh-huh. it was in the in the book, it was the zoo of death. Okay. And it had five <laughs> levels. And so he was on the bottom level and it had all these different uh, animals in the, on the different levels oh, wow. where because uh, Humperdinck was a hunter. Uh-huh. And so he would uh, so he would keep all of these animals like predators that he could go and hunt. Like there was one. A uh, level that had a cloud of bats, uh-huh. and another level that has a bunch of snakes. And but it, whenever uh, Inigo and Fezzik are going down to get him, it takes them. It might have even been weeks, but I know it takes them days oh, to get really? to him because they have to go through basically all these like uh-huh. <laughs> beat all these puzzles and stuff to get down and yeah. fight fight all these different animals and kill them to and get down to him. You can't burn up that much screen time. No, and plus the pits the pits of despair. Just uh-huh. sounds... <laughs> it's all the names in here are so great. It's like a kid wrote it, you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of one of the delightful things about it. I think. Um, God, Chris Randon is so good. He is, and again, he wasn't some big movie star like. The casting in this film was just so genius. You know, people like Wallace Shawn, this movie, like he kind of makes this movie in some ways, even mm-hmm. though he had a, I mean, not small part, but he he famously leaves about midway through. <laughs> right. <laughs> but And it's, it's even the, there was a, uh, with the makeup and the costumes, there was even like a plasticness, mm-hmm. especially to Chris Sarandon's skin was very weird in that movie. Yeah. Like how... Like, I don't know. It, it, he just doesn't look like a real person, uh-huh. which also makes him a better villain because <laughs> yeah. you just don't think of him as a real person. Like, he's like a caricature. Yeah, he and, and Christopher Guest were so great. Uh, and Christopher Guest plays it so straight. I know. Which he's apparently like in real life. I've heard he's a very serious guy. Just funny as a filmmaker. I know. <laughs> um, 
But I mean, he if you read interviews with him about all his movies, he's all about playing it straight. You know, every single thing he's done, he's he's always just like, no, no, no. Like that's the comedy in it <laughs> is that these dog show people are real <laughs> and they're not we're not going to make fun of them, <laughs> even though it sort of feels like that. Right. That's not what he's doing. Right. Um, but yeah, Chris Rannon so great. Uh, I do want to talk about the uh, that great camera gag when you first meet uh, Andre the Giant, Pentankin, and Wallace Shawn because I love a good like camera laugh. Right. And that first shot of them, every time I've seen that, I laugh out loud. Yep. Like genuinely from my gut. Yep. And it happened again last night. <laughs> it's such a funny shot of the three of them because of their sizes. Yeah. Uh, Andre the Giant is just such a presence. He is. Oh. Have you seen that documentary? Yes. It's so sad. It is, yeah. It you really so we uh hear it when Jason Reitman, Rob uh Jason Reiner. J- John Jason Rob Reiner's son. Okay. I don't even I don't know J- who he anyway, is. Anyway, he directed Front Runner. He was directing oh, it here okay. in Atlanta. And so he actually did a a reading of uh of the Princess Bride screenplay. And was this ha- the thing he did in L.A.? Yeah, but he did it here with his cast from Frontrunner. So it was like Hugh Jackman oh. and Vera from whatever. Four Man for me, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, like all and uh, it was crazy. The very first time that like Andre Fezzik comes out, even on that, mm-hmm. everyone got, like it got really emotional. So you went? Yes. Oh wow! Where was it? Plaza? No, it was at uh, someplace downtown. It was a a very fancy place, weirdly enough. Was like this a, Jason Reitman? Jason Reitman. There okay. you go. So he did this at, at LACMA in 2011, and um, he he does these a lot, like yeah. these staged readings with different yeah. people. And he had, uh, for this one, he had Paul Rudd as Wesley, uh, Mindy Kaling as Buttercup. Which uh, this, Didn't he have, like, Donald Glover was in he it? He did not have Donald okay. Glover in this one. He had Patton Oswalt as, uh, uh, was it Vicini? Oh, that's yeah. That's uh, Wallace Shawn, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Kevin Pollock is Miracle Max, and then he had Carrie Elwise as Humperdinck, which I think was a nice <laughs> that's little, really funny, yeah, nice little turn. He yeah. actually had him there, and then he had Rob Reiner do the grandfather role, and Fred Savage Aww. actually came and reprised his role oh, as the little gosh. kid. But he does these readings a lot yeah. for, for movies, and I've always just been like, man, how do you how do I get into that? Well, when they when they did it here, it was for money for Puerto Rico. Oh, like cool. all the money went to charity. How great was it? Was it? I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, and it was crazy because we freaked out about it, and we got we got like six tickets to it, and then Hugh Jackman, like there there weren't very many tickets being sold, and then Hugh Jackman like tweeted that he was going to be there, and then and it so sold out in like fifteen minutes. He was Wesley. Oh, okay. And who did the Andre the Giant role? I don't remember. But that was a sad moment. It was like yes, just because everyone was, yeah, had all the feels about the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, like how how do you not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was. Uh, I mean, I highly recommend that documentary to anyone who hasn't seen it. He was, by all accounts, a very good guy mm-hmm. and the gentle giant that he was known to be. And even in that behind the scenes thing I was watching last night, he was talking about how the world doesn't accommodate big either. He's like big and small, and he's like we're both sort of in the same mm-hmm. boat, weirdly. 
in the behind the scenes, did Rob talk about how he had to like because they couldn't understand what how he was delivering the lines. Rob yeah. actually recorded <laughs> all of the dialogue onto tape, and and Andre would listen to it, and basically, uh-huh. so he was kind of just performing phonetically uh-huh. what Rob had recorded, like how to deliver the lines. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he talked about what good instincts he had, though, just um, as a performer in wrestling, and he just said he was so honest because he was untrained you know quote unquote untrained as an actor that he just said all his instincts were just so pure every time uh i know it's just <laughs> like i want to cry it's funny for such a physical movie how many people were injured on that because andre's uh back was messed up yeah so they had to like kind of fake all of the stuff where Wesley's right. like on his back and then Wesley broke his toe during Oh really? Yeah, and so like whenever he rolls down the hill and they're they're oh having God. the whole like <laughs> as you wish. But at the bottom of the hill whenever they have their their conversation about uh uh like he like sits down on a log and then uh-huh. stands back up and you can see him like he has his leg out and he's like lifting himself up oh, with yeah. his arms because he was like favoring because he had just broken his toe and he tried to hide it for a oh, long like time. like he pushed through the scene? Yeah. <laughs> wow. But he didn't break it during the screening. He broke it. Uh, uh, Andre had this little cart that because he couldn't even fit in the van for everyone to go from setback. Oh, so they had like basically like a golf cart that was just for Andre. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess uh, Carrie was driving it with him, uh-huh. and they—I don't know if they wrecked it or right. something, but Gooping he broke. Yeah, but he broke his toe. <laughs> um, that scene, since you brought it up, the the roll down the hill, like there's so many great dumb gags, yes. and I say that like I think dumb jokes are the best thing in the world, and that just kills me every time <laughs> when she just shoves him. <laughs> it's just such a like. Uh, I mean, who thinks of something like that? I guess it's Rob Reiner. Yeah. And then she just like throws, pitches herself. Just pitches herself. It's like there are way easier ways to do this. Come on. It was so great. And then all the, you know, the clearly like uh, post-recorded ADR of them just going, ugh, <laughs> And it sounds so phony. It's just so great. They just needed a Wilhelm scream. Right. That's all they needed. I'm surprised they didn't do that, actually. Uh, and that, that uh, physical comedy gag got me. And then... The last whatever twenty minutes of that movie with Carrie Elwes uh, completely limp. Mm-hmm. It's just they just milked so much comedy out of that silly gag. Yeah, but man, the be- the best part though is my name is Inigo Montoya. You yeah. killed my father. Prepare to die. Yeah, that is. I mean, yeah, it's like, one of the classic lines. <sighs> uh, he said that, and this ends up with so many quotable lines. Um, but Mandy Patinkin was talking about how just that has followed him his whole career. And he uh, he didn't get it at the time. He just kept looking at the script going, I really say that a lot. <laughs> but you don't know it's going to be an iconic film or yeah. line. Well, yeah. But some of the stuff that we even quote the most is even just the uh, – What What are yours? Uh, well, even uh, – you know, there will be rocks ahead. If there are, we'll all be dead. Right. Stop rhyming. I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> So or, and great. then obviously the inconceivable. You keep yeah. using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Yeah, he says that people still to this day, if he's out in public and like drops his keys, someone will and picks him up. Someone will go inconceivable. <laughs> so great. Uh, Emily, uh, my wife, hers is always if we're if something happens where just one of those couple things that's just super embarrassing that only your partner sees, she'll just go marriage. <laughs> 
that blessed arrangement. <laughs> like, what's up with that? Such a, again, <laughs> these weird, weird choices. I know. Yeah, totally weird choice. Like, where did that come from, I wonder? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surely that wasn't in the script. No. It, I wonder if Peter Cook just came up with that. Right. Yeah, no. Because, yeah, it w- tonally wouldn't have fit into the book, that's for sure. But it just makes that scene, mm-hmm. you know? They could have played it straight, I guess, but why would you have Peter Cook in your movie and not have him do a funny accent? Oh, that's another big difference between the book and the movie was whenever they are at Miracle Max and he's going to make that big, that obnoxiously large magic pill. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they have to go on a quest to find the ingredients in the book oh, to so bring that's them back. the whole thing. So, yeah, so there's a lot of time passes in the book. that. Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with Billy Crystal. Um because my brother worked with him and he was like not the nicest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. So I've always let that kind of color my opinion. Um, but I love when Harry met Sally a lot. And I think that's like one of the legit great romantic comedies of all time. And he's just so funny in this. He and Carol Kane. It's just great. And practically all of that was ad lib. Yeah. They like just he, let him go, huh? Yeah. He never did the same line twice. Really? Ever. Yeah. Like the mutton, it was totally him. <laughs> MLT. Yep. <laughs> uh, they were the behind the scenes again. They were talking about during those scenes that Rob Reiner would just have to just consistently leave the set because he couldn't keep himself from laughing and ruining takes. So wonderful. Uh, some of my favorite lines, too. And there are a lot of good band names. I always joke about on stuff you should know about <laughs> band names. Um, Rodents of Unusual Size, great yep. band name. I don't believe they exist. <laughs> uh, Unemployed in Greenland, I think, would be a great band Unemployed name. Unemployed <laughs> in Greenland. See, that's why I know that uh, that he has like a weird – he was really self-conscious about – the fact that they wanted Danny DeVito in that role. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so it, it's something because that he took through the gag? whole film. Yeah, uh-huh. he, he took through the whole film that he was self-conscious the entire time oh. because he knew that they didn't want him. Huh. Um, but who could have, like, it's classic. Oh, he's, he's perfect. It, yeah. Yeah, I mean, is the, I mean the, the scene, you know, the very, very famous now scene of the wine and the poison, uh, I can't imagine. I mean, I love Danny DeVito, right? Dearly, but it's that is Wallace Shawn, one hundred percent. Yeah, no one else could have done that. It wouldn't have been the same, that's for sure. Yeah, that's such a great scene. <laughs> I, I would love to. Uh, I've never like printed out that section of dialogue and read it out loud. I bet it's. I bet it's pretty great, <laughs> just to read, mm-hmm. uh, and to remember all that too. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, Gary Owens is great in that scene too. I think he's kind of the unsung hero of this movie he in is, some ways. Even with his stupid mustache. <laughs> yeah, that thing was <laughs> – Emily was remarking about that last night. Uh, but I think part of the uh, – part of the thing with the sets that we were talking about looking kind of phony at times, that has weirdly allowed it to not age, mm-hmm. I think. There's something about it looking fake and make-believe that makes it timeless in some ways. Yeah. Well, whenever he jumps headfirst into the lightning sand, uh-huh. even as a production designer, I still don't understand why the sand doesn't fall when they open the gate for him <laughs> right. to fall. Like, I still don't understand how they did that. Yeah. 
And he wasn't originally supposed to, uh, like, he was supposed to just jump in feet first, but he said it wasn't heroic. And so he he jumped in, he wanted to jump in head first, so they had a stunt guy come in and try it, uh-huh. and then he was fine, and so then Carrie did it, and he they the first take, and that was the one that they oh, kept. That looked great. Yeah. But I don't understand, because if, if you have a, a trap door, uh-huh. and you have, like, the, the mattresses and foam and stuff on the bottom, the mm-hmm. pads on the bottom... I don't understand why the sand didn't fall through when they opened the trap door. It drives me crazy. So they they stumped you as a production yes. designer, like how they do that. Yeah. Who do you know who was the production designer? I on don't. This? I Interesting. should. Uh, that might be the kind of thing where you I could know. find out, Molly. I you know. Could get in touch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's another one of my favorite lines that I think doesn't get enough attention is uh, Chris Sarandon's "Please consider me as an alternative to suicide." <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a funny line. Uh, and then uh, when he's being uh, tortured on the uh, machine, what's the machine called? Do you remember? Uh, it's just called the machine. Oh, is it really? Yep. When he cranks it all the way up and just the whole valley, like, here's that whale. The, Montoya says, that is the sound of ultimate suffering. <laughs> <laughs> I also love whenever he, whenever Wesley knocks Fezzik out, he says, dream of large women. Oh, that's right. <laughs> what was that all about? <laughs> Such a random line. <laughs> so great. And, you know, everyone in that uh, behind the scenes is just all these years later just talked about what a – they knew at the time. They didn't know it was going to be a mm-hmm. cult classic, but just what a special experience yeah. and how much fun they had and what a, a gentle, uh, collaborative hand Rob Reiner was as the guide. Yeah. Which is really cool to know. Yeah, it is. It Yeah, there's – it's magic. And that's why we want to make movies is because yeah. it, there is a magic to it. But could you – I mean, if this movie had come out now, we, would, we wouldn't have any patience for right. the kind of lo-fi-ness well, of it wouldn't so be many that. parts of it. Yeah, It would be all CG'd out. Ugh. This is one of those that I would literally write a strongly lettered, uh, worded letter if they ever talked about remaking <laughs> oh, this. Oh, my gosh. No, they you can't. You just can't do they it. They can't. But I've said that before. Ugh. And they do it. I know. And I, I, it's funny. In the past couple of years, I've tried to come back around to remakes because I used to be such a snob about yeah. the idea of them. And, Same. And I'm like, okay, you know, the, the old movies don't negate – like the new movies don't negate the right. fact that your movie exists. And there are new generations and movies mean things to different people. And the thing that really actually got me was the female Ghostbusters movie. Oh. That movie, I, I know like the – the Ghostbusters fans like hated it and got really upset by it. But I mean, you can watch videos online of these little girls like in their little, with their little proton packs, like getting, you know, their signatures. And, and whenever you get to the final battle with Holtzman, Uh I'm just like bawling, crying when I saw it in theaters and it just, it. Stuff like that is important. It is. It's bigger than movies for sure. So, so I, I try to have an open mind about remakes and reboots and right, like, man, I, I think it's great though when they uh, will remake something with a different race as lead role mm-hmm. or gender, and it gets so much shit online though. It's, it but is. I mean that if you're sitting around reading "Ain't It Cool" <laughs> message boards or uh, Reddit message boards on this stuff, like. There's so many more valuable things to do. There are. And we sh- we should be able to enjoy things for the sake of enjoying things. Yeah. I like that Ghostbusters movie. I thought it was good. Yeah. It I 
it has, yeah, it was really important to me. And Paul Feig actually mailed me a poster because I have a T-shirt that says female Ghostbusters are the best Ghostbusters. Uh-huh. And um, Rob Cohen was a director on uh, on season three of Standing as Evil, and I wore it one day because we had gotten into an argument about Ghostbusters. And uh, he took a picture of my shirt and he sent it to Paul because mm-hmm. they're friends. Oh, that's And nice. so then Paul mailed me a poster with like this inscription that was basically like, thank you. I'm so glad that our movie meant something to you. Oh, we, we appreciate that's it. That's sweet. I know. That's really great. It did mean something to me, though. I have I have a Holtzman uh, uh, necklace, the screw you necklace. I wear it all the time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, here's my dirty secret, and this will upset a lot of people uh, that are listening. <laughs> I don't think the original Ghostbusters is some untouchable titan of comedy. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, well, I'm not going to say that. I liked it, mm-hmm. and I still like it, but I don't think it's like the funniest movie ever made. I think some of the Bill Murray stuff's funny, and I enjoyed it when I was a kid, but I don't hold it up as this like – sacrosanct untouchable yeah. thing. I think it, it it's I know just really do. it is because but I think it's just really special to some people because sure. there was again, you know, seeing different kind of characters as the heroes yeah. at the time. Um that yeah, it was special to a lot of people. We'll see what the now they've announced that the new movie's being the third film oh, really? is being made. Yeah. Oh, the third regular the, cast? Yep. They finally have they're finally making it, supposedly. Who's in? Do you know? I don't. But it's it's yeah, it's supposed to be a lot of the original cast. Are they gonna merge with the uh nope. reboot? No, they're gonna pretend like the girls didn't happen. Huh. Uh what's his name was so good in the reboot? Hensworth. Oh, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, oh, really my funny. God. <laughs> he was great. Uh, let me see. What else do I have on here? Oh, your perfect ears. I thought that was one of the funny lines that goes <laughs> a little unsung and uh, wallowing in freakish misery. It just it seems like such a fun script to sit down and write because mm-hmm. you could do whatever. Like nothing was off base. Yeah. You'd be as silly as you wanted to be as William Goldman, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the drama in delivering those lines. Is, yeah, it was just crazy how good it was. Yeah, and the ending is just so sweet. Uh, that that last bit, you know, with the thread running through out the story of because you kind of forget at times that Grandpa's reading to uh, mm-hmm. to cute little uh, Fred Savage. Yeah, uh, when he says that great line, "Since the invention of kisses." It's just so romantic. <laughs> Even if you're like cold and dead inside, right. it's hard not to kind of believe in that a little bit. Supposedly there is like an alternate ending that was shot where Fred Savage goes to look out the window and uh, they're on the horses and he like waves at them. Oh. But I, wonder why I guess we'll never that. see it. Because that would have been cool. Yeah, it would have. But I kind of do like the idea of it, it like being – like that it exists as this tale in this book. Right. That then they that the grandson and the grandfather then tomorrow when they read the book again get to go on the adventure again. Yeah. So you keep it contained to the yeah, story. I get that. Yeah. Just so I mean it was so funny and romantic and sweet, but it was just also a uh they managed to honor fairy tales while poking fun at fairy tales. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting little magic trick they did there. Yeah, it. 
Yeah, it, nothing in it is like anything else, which is like the weird part about it. Yeah, the characters and their relationships to each other and and how strange they all were. It, yeah, there's just nothing so else like it. Yeah, and it's it's a movie too where it's it, it is timeless and will never go away because. Just last night, I was like, all right, Ruby's three and a half. I was like, when can she see this? Mm-hmm. And pretty soon. Yeah. In the next couple of years, I think. Maybe just you could just skip the machine part if you really. Machine and maybe the rats would scare her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's like that she will grow up with it. And then if she has kids, we'll show it to her kids. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those movies you know is going to live forever. Kind of like Goonies. Yes. Oh, Goonies. Goonies, Goonies never die. I didn't even mean that play on words. <laughs> um, I can't wait for someone to pick Goonies. Yeah. And I tried to get Sean Astin in here when he was in town. <sighs> Emily still has a crush on him. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and he's one of those people that, um, from what I hear, is just so nice. Yeah. That, like, it's, you know, it's hard meeting. Like, working in the film industry, sometimes it's hard meeting people that yeah, it's a risk. you're a fan of. I know. Don't ever meet your heroes. Nope. Uh, when it works out, though, it's pretty great. It is. But when it doesn't, it's crushing. It is. Yep. <laughs> Do you, have you been crushed? I have a couple of times. Uh, Do you want to talk about it? Mm-mm. Okay. No, probably not. Uh, Fair enough. But yeah, no, I, I have a couple of times. And it, it more, it's less, obviously, you always have the people that just treat everyone really poorly, which mm-hmm. that almost doesn't quite bother me because uh i don't know i feel like when you grow up in in this entertainment industry where you have these people that are constantly tending to your needs mm-hmm. it just you exist in this bubble that's like not healthy like nope it's not I, the if, real world you look at people like the vampire diaries and and stuff like that where these people from like 16 to 25 were on right. this tv show like these are years that are integral to who you are as right. a human being to then have just people waiting on you yeah. hand and foot. And I'm not saying that they're like terrible people. I just worry for who they become, yeah. you know, because because of like existing in this microcosm. Yeah. Um. So like just kind of being crappy is, isn't that bad. It's when you then find out that they're like, misogynistic or homophobic right. or then they make really off color jokes and, and stuff and comments and then you're huge like huge oh. disappointment. Yeah, because we exist in a liberal um in a liberal industry. industry. Yeah. yeah. And so it it also just bothers me that people let them think that that was okay to talk right. like that and act like that. Yeah, long enough to where they just are comfortable like that. Yeah. I someone pointed out to me the other day like people talk about the liberal Californians right. coming to town, you know, when we talk about this religious liberty bill here in Georgia yeah. and, and what's happening. And someone pointed out, and I'd never really thought about it, is like, I think that part of the reason that the film industry is so liberal, quote mm-hmm. unquote, is because we are based in unions. And in unions, your rates are set by, like, by the union, like mm-hmm. how much we're getting paid. So no matter if you're a guy or a girl or, um, or, gay or or black or whatever, we all get paid the same thing. Yeah. So it's almost like we have this base set up right. for, like, everyone to be treated equally. And, like, that's like, sets this weird, like, tone for everything else yeah. of, like, why we're so liberal in our points of view. Socialist. I know. Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was just thinking, though, about that, uh, the treatment of actors and stuff. 
you know, I was a PA for many, many years and worked in art department some and then had the smallest little taste when Stuff You Should Know was on TV for a year. And um, on set, I always had the urge to like when I heard the walkie go off to like, like somebody needs to get the trash and I would go to the trash can and it would be like that PA like <laughs> DNA was still in me. But I even and this was among friends yeah. with Raymond and yeah. Craig and Karen and everyone like you get treated different and like I didn't like it and I saw how it could be just abused and this was on this tiny little science channel show yeah and I can't imagine being some big star where just you can get anything you want at any time and hold up the production if you don't want to be on set mm-hmm. like which those are the big ones and there's a little bit of a need to keep the talent separate from the crew just because the talent has got to perform and they've got to be able to perform the same over and over again and sure. get and fa- and get into their performance mm-hmm. immediately upon getting to set and things can become disruptive to that if you're yeah. interacting with the crew and whatnot so it somewhat makes sense in that regard of like keeping them separate mm-hmm. um and i i've definitely i've worked on a couple of like 100 million dollar films and there there are some funky things that start happening between like some of the like one of the actresses found out that the actor had better like his place was better than right. hers and so then she wanted her place to be moved yeah and then they she found this the guy found out that she had like different snacks in her oh my God. i mean it was like this just going back and forth I and know. back and forth it was just crazy yeah but like that wasn't about her being a girl or him being a guy. It was the agent had negotiated differently. Like, that's yeah. on the agent, not them. Yeah, and I've also seen on set where um, when we had someone really high profile coming in for, like, a one-day thing and you everyone is scared and you have all these things like, oh, they've got to have, you know, wash their hair with yeah. Evian and they got to have all this and you got to have all this. And then they show up and they're fine. And it right. is the agents and managers that are really overdoing mm-hmm. it. And they show up and they're cool and they're like, oh, no, it's no big deal. You can just wash my hair with regular tap water. I was told one time not to look Terrence Howard in the eyes. And then later he was he was we were talking Mm -hmm. and like I told him that they had said that. And he was like, what? What is that? Yeah, I know. I always used to hear that about Prince when he was in the room. No one could look at him. And I bet you that wasn't true. Yeah. As a little bit of the writers, I think, well, from the rock star point of view was that if they couldn't meet those those like uh if they couldn't meet the the things that they wanted uh-huh. then they didn't want them to do the show cuz it meant that they it what they right. were a good venue that's like the the Van Halen uh, right. Eminem thing i don't know if that translates at all to the film industry maybe probably a little bit i mean yeah. you 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 do have a lot of trust you know when you sign on to do a show as you know you walk onto the set with mm-hmm. these strangers as to what you're getting yourself into and you hope your safety is being taken seriously sure. first most yeah but then also you hope that it's a professionally run good film cuz like you know you talk about midnight rider and you know we have f- oh, like yeah. friends that were on that and it was a terrible terrible situation like across the board and a lot of people that that were um uh, that we're very much in the wrong in that situation, yeah. but and everyone now has an opinion about about it that oh well I wouldn't have let them yeah, yeah. do that and I wouldn't have agreed to this and that and it's easy to say that but you as a crew member you have a lot of trust that everyone around you mm-hmm. has done their job and has taken care of you and we don't ever know what we would have done in a situation yeah because everyone 
uh, has been on the jobs where they can look back and say, man, that was so dangerous. Yeah. I've done some stupid stuff just because we didn't have any time to do it right. It's all about time. Yep. And for those of you listening that don't know what we're talking about, Midnight Rider was the Greg Allman biopic that shot here in Georgia that uh, very sadly a camera assistant was killed by a train. And I know it made national news, but if uh, mm-hmm. that's what we were talking about, yeah. so sad. And I know a lot of positive change came out of that, but like it shouldn't take a young woman losing her life. You no, know, just so sad. Not. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bear Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, Feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You got anything else on Princess Bride? I don't think so. It's just, it's just a magical film. Yeah. I I was trying to figure out if I I've definitely seen it more times than Star Wars, which is kind of crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you can actually count? Yeah. Wow. Uh all right, well we finish Molly with uh five questions. Okay. Um what's the first movie you remember seeing in the theater? Uh it I guess you were 25 years old. Yeah, it wouldn't have been until much <laughs> much much later. Um Oh gosh. I would say, yeah, oh, my God. It might even be as late as, like, Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, wow. I know. That's how late it was. I just didn't see things in the theater. Yeah. It wasn't an option. All right. Uh, first R-rated movie? 
oh, that I ever saw. This sounds. This is going to be really bad. Um, but it was this terrible horror film called Doctor Giggles. It was the first horror movie that I ever saw. <laughs> I don't think I've even heard of it. Oh that. no, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible horror film. But because it was my first horror film, absolutely yeah terrified me. Sure. Yeah, and which is funny because now I live and breathe horror. Movies. Right, right. But that just goes to show all these parents that want to like keep their kids in in a protective bubble. Doesn't like work. they're gonna like what they like. I yeah. hate to tell you. So many great horror movies now. It's such a great time. There is. You know. Horror more than anything is taking chances on telling stories. Yeah, absolutely. I saw the trailer the other day for the uh the new uh uh Us or Uh huh, Jordan Pill's new movie. Oh my God. And I can like handle horror, but that looks fucking terrifying. Also, how is it that we don't we know so little about that film? You know what I, I mean? Know. Like in this day it. and age. So cool. What a great idea. Uh will you walk out of a bad movie? I have when I was younger. I wouldn't now. I don't think. Okay. I I think that it is very hard to make movies. It is, <laughs> and I think everyone deserves a participation trophy just for completing a film. Yep. Like I, so I wouldn't now. I I did when I was younger, but um, no. Yeah. No way. You've been in the trenches now. I have. It's hard to make movies. Yeah. And yeah, it, it there's there's so many circumstances that are out of our control. Like, you really have to get lucky to complete a film. Yeah. Like, ev- you're almost surprised when movies do get completed mm-hmm. if you've ever worked on yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> and not even on an indie scale. Even, you know, how the big movies, like how many times yeah. they uh, they just money falls through, things happen. Yeah. You know, we uh, very often will work on films that they've set up the production office. We're three weeks into production and then they've pre-production and then they've lost the main actor and then the film is folded. Right. And you never hear about it. Nope. Uh, number four, I tailor to the guest. So I'm going to ask you, hmm. Or how about this? What's your? Do you have a favorite uh, art direction in a film? Yes, definitely. Uh, well, let me even say. Well, let me say for television because television in particular recently with Legion, the TV show. Haven't seen or it. Or Maniac, the yeah. TV show. Oh, I saw Maniac. There's, there's this crazy mid-century modern thing yeah. happening with these really over-the-top creative. Uh-huh. You should definitely watch Legion. Legion is insane. Really? Yes. All right. Yes. Um, Maniac so, was so weird and great. Yes. But like that, there's there's so much that's happening in television. Uh the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel has some of the best art direction so I've great. ever seen. What a beautiful show. Yep. Uh, but as far as movies, I might, this is going to sound crazy, but I might actually say Gone with the Wind is my favorite art direction. Wow. But again, it says matte paintings of yeah. the backgrounds, and, and it's just, again, like this larger-than-life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I've seen Gone with the Wind quite a few times, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a throwback. And uh, you know Karen Freed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen came in and talked about Rebecca, the Alfred Hitchcock film, and it's so fun to go back and look at these movies where all the old tricks are on display, you know? Yeah. Matte paintings and and just real cameras moving through space, and yep. uh, it's pretty great. Back when people did stunts, like, yeah. un- unsafely. <laughs> right, right. It's just crazy. Uh, and then finally, Movie Going 101, uh, what's your deal at the movie theater? Where do you sit? Do you... Get oh. anything to eat or drink? I I always have um, cherry Coke and then a small popcorn. Okay. That's what I always have. No candy really anymore because I'm chubby. 
um, which is just a way of life. Yeah. Uh, and um, I always sit in the so they have the front. The front is always there's always like the the line uh-huh. for the front section and the back section, and I'm always right behind the second row of the back section. So it's kind okay. of in the middle. All right. Um, but it's it's. I guess right in front of the middle mm-hmm. is where I always sit. But it's because I don't want too much stuff happening in front of me. Right. Um, that then it's like a distraction from watching the film. If people are talking their movie, they better be sitting behind me. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't shoot daggers behind you. <laughs> right. You know, well, you can kind of tune them out. It's like out of sight, right. out of mind. But yeah, if it's happening in front of me, I have been known to. To shush. It. Yeah. Well, to get in Good. conversations with people in the theater yeah i actually had a boyfriend break up with me because i <laughs> got into an argument people. with a lady <laughs> in a movie theater and he said that i embarrassed him oh really mm-hmm. well hit the road buddy I know, right yeah yeah if, if that's what you're worried about as someone who like drinks a lot of whiskey and right has, has you know yeah <laughs> if, if that, <laughs> best you get out now <laughs> all right thanks molly this is great no thank you for having me all right All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I should mention that very sweetly afterward, Molly gave me a gift, everyone. She's the first guest that actually brought me a little thank you gift. And it was uh, a collection of like buttons and stickers and a a very lovely card that she wrote. Uh, And it was just really speaks to what kind of person Molly is. She's wonderful and uh, great things will just continue to happen in her career. Um, I'm sure at some point someday you will see a Molly Coffee production on a big screen near you. I uh, have no doubt that that'll happen. So I hope you enjoyed our chat about The Princess Bride. A great, great movie. It was a lot of fun talking to her about it. And uh, that's about it. So, And until next time, um, maybe you should just unsubscribe and stop listening to Movie Crush. But that's inconceivable! Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.